Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. We're starting verse 29 today. Verse 29. This is what it says in the New Living Translation. For God knew his people in advance. And he chose them. Now here's the purpose. Here's why God called us, chose us, saved us. This is why we've been saved. To become like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son. So that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God, I pray that you would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts today to hear your word, to understand your word, to receive it, and most importantly, to apply it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So listen, before we get started, let me challenge you today. I know the time changed last night, and I know some of us are a little cross-eyed right now, and anytime something changes, people get a little weird. Let me encourage you to stay um, present in this moment. Okay, don't worry about what you got going on later today or how tired you are or waiting until October so you can get your hour back or whatever. Let's stay right here in this moment because I believe God wants to change some lives today. Okay, can y'all say amen? amen? All right, you're not really inspiring me. You're gonna have to help me this morning. So if you're, if you're looking for a job description for a follower of Jesus, then the scripture we just read is pretty much as, as good as it gets. We are to become like Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. That every day of our lives, when we look in the spiritual mirror, which is the Word of God, we should see ourselves changing. We should look more and more like Jesus every day. That's pretty simple, right? Oh, swing and a miss. It's pretty simple, right? All right, it's pretty clear, right? But, but it's not easy to do, is it? It's daunting sometimes, if we're being honest. It's intimidating. And as a matter of fact, I would say it's impossible for us to do, except for the fact that God would never call us to do something that he's not going to empower us to accomplish. So he gave Jesus as our example. He gave us his Holy Spirit to enable and empower us to become like Jesus, more like Jesus every day. So if we're going to become more like Jesus, what does that even look like? What does that even mean? And how do we know where to begin? And that's what this series, brand new series this morning, that's what this series is designed to answer. So here, let me tell you how this series came to be. I was doing a, re a Bible reading plan uh, called the Red Letter Reading Plan. And it just focuses on the words of Jesus, the words that are in red in the traditional Bible, okay? So it, it's a plan to read those sections. And I was reading in the Gospel of Luke, and just the old English teacher in me started noticing the, the section headings in my Bible. Yours may not have those. Mine has a heading over certain all the sections. And I just started noticing the very simple subject and verb. 
and Jesus was always the subject, and then there was a, a, a verb right after that that told what Jesus was doing or what was being done to Jesus. And so this series is called the Red Letter Living Series, the Red Letter Living Series, and the individual message titles are going to be those really simple sentences that I saw in my Bible. For, for example, uh, there will probably be a message called Jesus Heals. And there will probably be one called Jesus Sins, probably be one called Jesus uh, Rejected. And then today is a message called Jesus Preaches. Jesus Preaches. So we're going to dive into the Red Letter Living series with the first message, Jesus Preaches. Now, every one of us, if we're believers in Christ, every one of us is called to preach. Men, women, students, children, everybody. Now, does that shock you that you're called to preach? Let me help you understand maybe. When you understand the term to mean a declaration of the truth or sharing of the gospel, then maybe you can agree with me that we're all called to preach in some context. Let me show you one verse that you, if you've been in a Pentecostal church for more than a week and a half, you've heard this verse at some point. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. What does that mean? Telling people about Jesus everywhere, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There were 120 people who saw the fulfillment of that verse on the day of Pentecost. There was, there was the, the 11 of the 12 disciples. Judas was not there. 11 of the 12 disciples, other men that had followed him, Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, lots of other ladies that were there as well. 120 people that followed him. Can I tell you there was no record of the mother of Jesus, Mary, ever preaching a sermon I'd never, no record of her ever standing in a pulpit, and yet all 120 of them received the same call and the same power, the same, the same infilling that, that each of them got. All of them got the same thing. Jesus intends all of us to be witnesses. He intends all of us to preach the gospel, to share the good news. As a matter of fact, if you read the gospels and you read his interactions with people in, in, in the miracles that he did for people, many, of many times they would say, Jesus, we want to follow you and we want to go with, with your 12 disciples. And he said, no, you need to turn around and go back where you came from and you tell everybody else what I did for you. Right? In other words, go preach to the people you know everywhere you are. So the question is not, should we preach? The question is, how do we preach? How do we preach? So this is going to sound a little morbid on a Sunday morning, but I think you'll, under, you'll appreciate the context here. When I do funerals, I will often say something like, there is nothing that I'm going to say here today that's going to add to or take away from who this person is and what they've done in their lives. Because the truth of the matter is, we all preach our own funerals. And that's what people do, usually at a funeral. They go, yep, that's right, amen. And, and the older I get and the more experience I have, the more I believe that, that we are preaching, uh, our lives are preaching today. We're not just preaching our own funerals, we're preaching the gospel. If we claim to be Christians, we are preaching the gospel every day and we're preaching it with our whole lives. 
So when you're a follower of Jesus, just like every aspect of your life should begin to look more like Jesus, so every aspect of your life should begin to preach the gospel like Jesus's life did as well. So today I want to talk about three ways that our lives preach. Three ways our lives can preach. And here's the first one, good works that glorify God. Good works that glorify, or in other words, what you do. What you do. Now I want to show it to you in Matthew chapter 5, and there's, you know, there's a hundred other places we could go, but this is clear. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let your good works or good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It is no secret that Christians should do good works, right? Nobody would argue with that, that we should do good stuff. Even people who've never read the Bible, don't know anything about, really even anything about Jesus, knows that we should do good works. The interesting thing about this verse is not in its command to do good, it's in, it's in the root and the result, the root of the good thing and the result of the good thing. And that's what makes what Christians do different than what everybody else does, different than what the world does. Why do we do good things? Why do we help people? Why do we treat people kindly? Why do we give and why do we serve? Because it's part of how we preach. It's part of how we preach. Look at what it says, let your light so shine. And that's a poetic way of saying, let your good works highlight the source of those good works. Let what you do reveal why you do it. And as believers, we do good things because Jesus is in control of our lives and he has made a difference and we want people to see both the difference and the difference maker in our lives. That everything we do should be a good reflection on him. You say, well, John, how does, how does letting your light shine um, really mean that we're preaching Christ? Because when you, when you shine a light, you focus it on the important things, right? That's why you have a flashlight, and a flashlight has a mirror, or a lamp has a shade, because those things help to direct the light on the important things. For a believer, when you do something good, it's not just because it makes you feel good. It's not just because that person needed something done. You do what you do so that God can be illuminated and highlighted in your life. You preach with your actions so that Jesus can be seen in your life. And if you don't believe that people are watching how you live your life to see if you're truly a believer, then you are either really young in the Lord or you're just really naive. Because nobody cares how much you go to church. Nobody cares how much you talk about church if the things you do in your life look just like the things they do in their life. They're going to care way, they're going to believe what you do way more than they're going to listen to what you claim to believe. Do you know why? Because faith can't be seen without action. The only way people know what you believe is by watching how it affects what you do. And if your so-called faith has not affected your actions, then your faith is either really shallow or you don't actually believe what you claim to believe. Because faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. Look at John chapter 5, verse 19. 
So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Now, I started my ministry in 1992 uh, as a youth pastor. And, And in those days, in Christian circles, it was popular to wear a bracelet on your arm. Now, it was before the silicone things. It it was kind of a woven little bracelet, and it had four letters on it. Y'all remember those? There they are. WWJD. It's actually in the Bible. In the 90s, you couldn't get saved unless you had a WWJD bracelet. That was the first fruit of your salvation. Uh, And you had to buy them in a variety of colors because it's important to also be fashionable as a Christian. So, um, and if you stack them and wear like 18 of them, it makes you super holy, super duper holy. So what does it, what does it stand for? What would, listen to you Christians, y'all are so cute. Y'all are so cute and holy and stuff. It reminded, it was supposed to, (laughs) supposed to remind you to think about what would Jesus do before you make any decisions, right? And now, like so many other things in American Christianity, um, it got marketed and exploited for profit, and it lost most of its meaning for most people. The, the concept was solid, and it's based in the scripture that we just read, where, where Jesus said, I don't do anything that God doesn't do. I only do what I see the Father doing. So it's based in that scripture, and and people would wear those bracelets, but Jesus isn't calling us to to just wear it. He's calling us to do it, right? Too many people bought it, but they never bought in to it. He He wants us committed to it, not associated with it. So Jesus never did anything until he knew it was God's will. So we should honestly ask ourselves, not in some sort of trendy fad, but we should honestly ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? And not just in the moments when we're making a decision, but every day as we schedule our time, as we spend our money, as we interact with people, as we choose who we're going to hang out with, as we allow people to influence us and we choose who we're going to influence, we should always ask the Lord. Because if Jesus Christ didn't do anything without consulting the Father, how in the world do we think we're going to become more like him without ever asking God what he wants us to do? Jesus preached In everything he did, in all of the things he did, in all of the places he chose to go and did not go, in the way he went about his life, he preached. Red letter living requires that we preach because he preached. And he preached with his whole life. He preached with his works. Here's the second way you can preach with your life. Good words that build. Not just good works that glorify, but good words that that build. In other words, you preach in what you say. In what you say. Is anybody nervous about where this is going now? <sighs> Jesus said something um, extraordinary, and I want to point it out to you. He actually made reference to it in a couple of different places. Remember, we just read that he said, I didn't do anything that I didn't, I didn't see the Father doing. He, he drills down even further. Look in John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. He said, I don't speak on my own authority. He's the son of God. 
And he doesn't speak on his own authority. He said, the father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the father tells me to say. Look at John chapter 8, verse 26. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I've heard from the one who sent me, and he's completely truthful. Jesus said, I got much to condemn, but I'm not going to. Why not? Because John 3:17 says he wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world. He was sent so that the world through him could be saved. You don't have to say everything you know. Can we just go home now? It is not lying if you don't say everything you know. And it's not unspiritual to see needs in other people's lives and not address them unless the Holy Spirit tells you to address them. Otherwise, close your mouth. You're not the Holy Spirit. Okay? That ain't nowhere in my notes. But that's good, isn't it? Jesus said, I only said what I heard my father saying. It's no wonder he was without sin. He kept his mouth closed. James said, if we could keep our mouth closed, if we could get control of our tongues and keep them from sinning, the book of James said we'd be perfect. Our, our mouths get us in serious trouble, Right? Oh, for real, now we're going to lie in the house of the Lord. <laughs> Our mouths get us in serious trouble. Jesus gave us this incredible example that should guide our preaching, whether in the pulpit or, or not. Say what God says. And say only what God says. That means speak words that are either contained in or in agreement with this book right here. So think about that for just a second. Think about the conversations that you've had in the last week. How much of what we say lines up with this word? If we truly only said what God told us to say, if we committed to only say what God would say in that situation, most of us wouldn't talk for most of the time. A whole lot less than we do now for sure. What does that mean? That means we can't speak anything of doubt because the only way to please God is faith. So we can't speak doubt. We can't speak fear because perfect love casts out fear. We can't speak worry because he said not to. We can't speak criticism. We can't speak anger. We can't speak hatred. We can't speak judgment. You're like, okay, John, that's enough. Right? That's, and that is enough. If we cut all of that out of our, our, our vocabulary every day, what in the world will we talk about? You say, well, John, I could, I could never preach with my words. I just don't have good words. I, I just don't know what to say. We preach just as loudly by what we don't say as by what we do say. I, I, want, I, want, you to, I want to read some scripture from Ephesians, and it's an incredibly practical um, passage of scripture, but in the interest of time, I want to just highlight the ones that talk about what we say. 
All right. And in verse 21, it starts and it says that, hey, since you've come to know Jesus and then it lists a whole series of things that we should that we should do or not do these imperatives that he gives. Here's the first one that he talks about specifically what we say in chapter four of Ephesians, verse 29. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Look at verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness. Where does bitterness come out? Your mouth, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Chapter 5 and verse 4, same conversation. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you as believers. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Wow. You remember the standard that Jesus set? He said, I only say what I hear my father say. So it's not just what would Jesus do, it's what would Jesus say. That's the standard of red letter living. You see, this culture is becoming more and more profane and obscene. You can't turn on the TV anymore at no matter what time of the day. You can't go to a movie. You can't go to a restaurant without hearing it. All your people can't seem to string a sentence together without cussing or talking dirty. And we can't stoop to that level. Why? Because we're supposed to be becoming more like Jesus. So we can't have the heart of the Savior with the mouth of a sailor. Your words are important. Why? Because we're preaching. Always preaching. And don't think for a moment that the things you say don't matter. They matter. They matter to the people who have to listen to you talk. They matter to the people you're talking to. And listen, they matter to God. If the scriptures that I've read so far have not challenged or terrified you, this one should. In Matthew 12, Jesus said, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. If I had a gavel and I called court to session right now, would we be guilty or innocent? And we wouldn't have to call a single witness. Our own mouths will testify for good or for bad. Becoming more like Jesus is not just in the works that glorify, but also in the words that build up and encourage, not words that tear down and condemn. What you choose to say or not to say should be governed by the Word of God and inspired by the Spirit of God. He will show us what to say if we'll learn to keep quiet until He does. And it is not a failure to walk away silent. He will even help us keep our mouths closed. In the Psalms, the prayer of the psalmist is God set a guard over my mouth. 
He'll help us if we'll learn to listen to him. He's not going to reach down and close the flap. Wouldn't that be nice? It hurt. We'd have a lot of broken teeth, but we'd keep our mouths closed a lot more. We have to listen to him. We have to recognize his voice and submit to what he says. I want you to look at this in Psalm 19, verse 14. This is a really sweet benediction. I've prayed it here. May the words of my mouth and the meditation, I always want to say the medication of my heart. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And there's the problem. Do you see the connection between the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart? There's the source of the problem and there's the key to the solution. We say the things we say because we believe them in our hearts. We will not be able to permanently change our words until we change our hearts. And and I want you to look at these I want you to look at these red letters uh, chapter 6 verse 45 of Luke Jesus said a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart you're like well Jesus like what's the evidence of good or evil what you say flows from what's in your heart good or evil See, the problem with our tongues is not that our lips don't close fast enough to keep the words in. It's that our hearts aren't pure enough to stop producing them. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. I've heard it, I've heard it 112 times on the bus just in this week. Well, he made me mad. He made me say this. He did this to me. I had to do... No, you didn't. The problem is your heart If you're having a hard time with what you say, you can work on your mouth if you want to, but ultimately you're going to have to spend the bulk of your time in your heart. And if you don't hear anything else I say, if you haven't listened yet and don't plan to after this, please listen to this. Your tongue is not judgmental and critical. Your heart is proud and arrogant. Your tongue is not negative Your heart is wounded. Your tongue is not full of anger. Your heart is full of fear. So if you will allow Jesus to heal your pain, if you'll allow Jesus to expose whatever you're afraid of in your life, if you'll allow him to convict you of your pride, then your words will get a whole lot sweeter. You fix the root and the fruit gets better. Your words will start to preach the message of the gospel. It'll start to preach a message that glorifies God and builds people up. How? Because when you get your heart in line with God's word, when you stop talking about what God wouldn't talk about, then what does come out of your mouth is life and peace and joy and faith and promises and encouragement And couldn't we stand more conversations like that in our lives? (laughs) And couldn't we stand some more silence if we can't say that? When we start speaking those things, it's going to make us sound more like Jesus. That's red letter living. We preach with our works. We preach with our words. And here's the last thing. The way our lives will preach is in good fruit 
that feeds. Good fruit that feeds. In other words, you preach with who you are. Not just what you do or what you say, but with who you are. Let's look at John chapter 15 and verse 1. Leanne, I'm not going to read this uh, all of it. Um, I, I am the true vine, Jesus said, and, and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. And you can continue to read the 15th chapter of John, and you can read many other places. And, and let me ask you this. Does anybody have any doubts that Jesus intends for his followers to produce fruit? No. And does anybody doubt that he wants it to be good fruit and not bad fruit? So you're like, yes, he wants us to produce fruit. He wants us to produce good fruit, but like what's fruit? So fruit, very simply, is, is what's produced when the plant is healthy. If you have a healthy plant, it's going to produce fruit. Now the Bible gives us several, a couple of lists uh, of examples of what that looks like. In Galatians chapter 5, we've all read this a hundred times probably if you've been around church for long, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, or the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against any of these things. All right? And there's another list in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for, for living a godly life. We have received. So do you see that? We have everything we need to live a godly life. We can't cop out and say we can't do it. The Bible just said you could. He's given us by his power everything we need. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Verse 4. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. And these promises that enable you, these are promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human nature. In view of this all, uh, and make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith. Now, that's a command. Supplement your faith. With, uh, faith is all I need. No, it's not. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. you got to do the right things. And add to moral excellence, knowledge. And to knowledge, add self-control. And to self-control, add patient endurance. And patient, to patient endurance, add godliness. And to godliness, add brotherly affection. And brotherly affection, uh, add love for everybody. Now, I don't want you to get intimidated by those lists because you're like, wow, that's, that's quite a standard to live up to. Those are the characteristics of Jesus. That's his nature. And that's what red letter living is about, becoming more like Jesus. But listen, it's not just about what you do or what you say. It's about who you are. These traits must come out of a relationship with Jesus, a heart that's been completely surrendered to him. If you try to produce them on your own, you're going to drive yourself nuts. This fruit only comes from an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. It has to come out of who you are. 
You say, but John, I'm not naturally like that. I'm naturally kind of angry and just kind of salty all the time and hard to live with and I'm just selfish and I'm jealous. And I would say to that, yes, yes, you are. And I would say to myself, yes, I am. And to everybody else, we're all that way. And I think the temptation is to say, well, when, will, when in my walk with Jesus will my nature become more like his? And here's the answer that nobody wants to hear. Never. Your nature will never become more like Jesus' nature. Your human fleshly nature will never be like Jesus. It's hopeless. Jeremiah said the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Who even knows how bad it is? Your inner man, your humanity is hopeless. We are all hopeless cases. That's why Jesus came. That's why the teachings of a wise man will not help us. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to give you new life in him. We, we think we're going to give him the pieces of our lives and he's going he's gonna to create something beautiful. I think most of the time he goes, hey, thanks. Sets that aside and picks up what Jesus did and he makes something beautiful out of that. Not out of us. What we have is dead. Remember, he said, when you come to me, old things pass away. Pass away is a polite way to say die. All that old stuff is dead. And he said, but Jesus has come and made all things new. He's given us a new nature. The key is not trying to change your old nature. The key is learning to walk in your new nature. Does that encourage anybody? Because if you see, oh, I'm just not changing. Good. You're never going to change. Quit trying to change your, yourself and start trying to live in the new nature that Jesus provided. Now, I would recommend you read the, the entire eighth chapter of Romans because it addresses this situation. But here's kind of the pivotal verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. It says this. So letting, allowing, it's a choice of yours, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You have to choose to walk in the spirit instead of the flesh. It's not changing the old nature. It's abandoning the old nature. Old things passed away. All things became new. That's really the foundation of this message. It's really the foundation of the series. It's the foundation of a life in Christ. Walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. That's when you produce the fruit of the spirit. When you walk in the spirit. That's when your life will start to preach. Who you are will draw people to yourself. Jesus, was, Jesus had to intentionally hide from people. Why? Because they were drawn to him. They wanted to be around him. And when you begin to walk in your, in your spiritual nature, the nature of Christ that he's given to us, people are going to be, want to be around you because the fruit of your life, the fruit of who you are is going to feed them. And hungry people are always going to find food. 
When your life preaches, you produce good fruit that feeds the people around you. And I want you to remember the fruit of your life, when you're walking in Christ, the fruit of your life is not from you and it's not for you. It's for the people around you. It's from the Spirit for the people through you. Okay? Red letter living. Jesus preaches. His whole life preached. And if we're going to be like him, we've got to learn to preach the way he did with our actions, with our words, and with who we are. What we do, what we say, who we are. Good works that glorify, good words that build, and good fruit that feeds. So John, that's great. I've got no idea how to do that. Well, it's, it's, it's not complicated. Two words, saturate and surrender. How do I become more like Jesus? How do I learn to walk in that nature? Saturate and surrender. And you're going to think, oh, that boy just wore, he, he's ran out of time. He's just pulling stuff that they've been saying in church for years. This is the only way it works. Saturate yourself with his word and with his presence through worship and prayer and reading and studying your Bible. You're like, that's, that's just, that's old fashioned. It's the only thing that works. It's the only provision for getting to know Christ. What you, what you, you, you get to know his nature, you get to know his character, you get to know his personality. And when you do surrender to it, accept it, ask for it. What you see of Jesus in the word, what you hear from him in his presence and in your prayer time, let it change your life. Let him correct you. Let him change your attitudes and your thoughts. Let him heal your hurts. Let him lead you to forgiving those who've hurt you and forgiving yourself. When you start from a foundation of healing, it permeates your whole life. Listen, Jesus was not only holy, he was whole. He spent time with the Father, just like I'm telling you to do just like I have to do. He spent time in the presence of the Lord. He spent time with the Father and he got healed when he was hurt. He got strong when he was tempted. He got encouraged when he was down. That's, that's the reason he was able to live a life that glorified God and even a life without sin. That's why his life preached because he stayed saturated with the presence of God power of God, the word of God. So saturate yourself with him and then surrender to him and watch your life preach. That's red letter living. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's covenant living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.